Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to our planning podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Today we are joined by Jacqueline Denton as well as Todd Mayo, who wrote the 2022 year-end planning guide. Jacqueline and Todd are members of the Advanced Planning Group here at UBS, which helps ultra-high net worth families and individuals with estate planning, tax planning, family office structuring, and other planning issues and strategies. Jacqueline is an associate wealth strategist based in Nashville, Tennessee, and Todd is a senior wealth strategist based in Boston, Massachusetts. So Jacqueline, Todd, thank you both for spending some time with our clients and listeners here on UBS Conversations for a look at the 2022 year-end planning guide, a popular piece which readers look forward to on an annual basis. Uh, To begin our conversation today, Jacqueline, can you take a few moments to maybe share with us a bit more about the year-end planning guide and what our advisors as well as our clients can expect from it? Thanks, Dan, and thanks for having us. As you mentioned, this annual guide is published every year by the Advanced Planning Group. In this guide, we cover a number of topics and encourage our clients to consider which planning strategies may help them to reduce their tax burden for the year, as well as consider whether there are any additional estate planning strategies that they may want to implement. So when people think about year and tax planning, they naturally think about income taxes. The guide, of course, covers federal and state income tax planning, but it also covers investment-related and financial planning, retirement planning, charitable giving, and wealth transfer planning. Now, of course, UBS does not provide tax or legal advice, so our goal with the year-end tax guide is really just to spark conversation and encourage clients to explore these ideas with their own tax and legal advisors. Thank you, Jacqueline, for that overview. Very helpful. I know the guide is quite detailed, provides a ton of planning ideas for clients. Of course, it's hard to cover everything on today's podcast, though perhaps each one of you could take a few moments here to provide us with your top three planning ideas from the guide. Uh, Todd, if you'd like to begin. Dan, thank you. Yeah, happy to. Um, in fact, Dan, as you said, I mean, we cover a lot in the guide and, uh, you know, what's relevant varies from individual to individual and family to family. Um, but picking out three, let me start with, uh, let me start with two staples. Um, first, you know, just thinking about the timing of, um, income and deductions and credits. And that really starts with taking a look at you know, what your um, tax liability is likely to be this year and what it will likely be next year. And then um, thinking about some questions. And, and, and when you think about these questions, it's not just the regular income tax. It's also thinking about the alternative minimum uh, income tax. It's thinking about uh, taxes at the state and local levels as well as the federal levels. So it's you know, it's a comprehensive look um, at the different uh, different taxes that apply to individuals and families. But then, you know, taking all that in, into consideration, it begins asking some questions. You know, does it look like this year's taxes uh, may be more than next year's taxes? Well, if so, you know, does it make sense to defer some income to next year? And, and is that even possible? For some folks, it's feasible. For some folks, it's not. Um, you know, would it make sense to uh, accelerate deductions into this year? Uh, again, you know, that's possible for some folks. Um, it's not feasible for others. Um, and then, you know, while it's 
possible to control timing of things like uh, charitable deduction. Uh, there are limits on what can be accelerated uh, deduction-wise, what can be accelerated for uh, tax purposes. And then on the flip side of this, you know, in terms of the, the timing of you know, income deductions and, and credits, you know, what if what if this year's taxes look like it'd be less than the next year's? Now, we come at it from the from the opposite side. You know, would it make sense to accelerate income into this year? You know, would it make sense to defer deductions into next year? And again, we've got to ask ourselves, you know, is it possible? Is it feasible? But that's a sort of analysis that you know folks ought to go through to try to see whether there's opportunities uh, that may exist for minimizing their overall uh, income tax exposure. So that's one of the first. That's the first staple. The second staple I would say is you know more on the um, gift and estate side, which is looking at gifting, uh, being mindful of uh, the ability to make annual exclusion gifts. So right now I can make a sixteen thousand dollar gift to another individual, and I could do that to as many individuals as I want. Um, I could do that gift in trust. Uh, i got to be mindful that there's certain requirements um, for how that trust is written in order for my gift to qualify for the annual exclusion. But gifts that are qualified for the annual exclusion are non-taxable for gift tax purposes, and they don't use up any of my lifetime uh, exemption. My lifetime exemption for those of us that are U.S. persons for, for um, gifting estate tax purposes, each of us has currently a just over $12 million exemption. So we can transfer that amount either during lifetime or at death or partly during life and partly at death without any gift or estate taxes. Um, it's worth you know thinking about how to efficiently use that lifetime exemption and whether it makes sense to you know, make some gifts during life uh, to use up some or all of that exemption. So that's the that's the other little staple to think about. And then finally, getting a little bit more um, uh, into some technical area that applies to some people, uh, but not others, is just thinking about exercising options, um, incentive stock options and non-qualified uh, stock options. You know, just thinking about uh, review, basically reviewing the holdings. You know, are there options that may be expiring? If so, does it make sense to exercise them? In the case of the ISOs, you know, is there an opportunity to exercise them in a way that doesn't increase overall tax liability? When exercising ISOs, it's non-taxable for the regular income tax, but we have some um, alternative minimum tax, AMT um, considerations. And so if we can exercise some uh, ISOs without getting kicked into uh, a situation where paying AMT, and that can be more tax efficient. And then finally, you know, sometimes it makes sense to look at uh, exercising ISOs because we want to start the the, uh, the holding period for the shares that we're going to acquire, um, so we can get long-term capital gain treatment on those shares and for shares acquired by uh, exercising ISOs to get that long-term uh, treatment. We need to hold of the shares for more than one year after exercise and more than two years after the grant of the uh, ISO. So, Dan, those are those are really the kind of the three that come to my mind. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, a lot there to consider. Thank you for sharing those ideas with our listeners, our clients. Uh, Jacqueline, what about you? What are three planning ideas from the guide you'd like to share with us today? Sure. So for me, I think one of the things that works really well for, for certain clients is um, using a charitable remainder trust to diversify a concentrated stock position instead of just liquidating the position outright and incurring a capital gain. 
So a um, charitable remainder trust generally is an irrevocable trust that pays income out, and that can pay to one or more individuals for either a term of up to 20 years or an individual's lifetime. And that income stream can be structured as either a fixed payment or percentage of trust assets. So you've got some good flexibility in terms of creating the trust document. And at the end of the expiration of the term, the remaining assets go to a charity. So that can be either a public charity, if the family has a favorite charity that they want to benefit, or even a private foundation if they've already established one. Um, now, the tax benefits to doing this are that the individual generally doesn't recognize any gain when they contribute assets to the trust. And then these trusts are generally tax-exempt. So when they sell the position inside the trust, they can then reinvest the proceeds in a diversified portfolio without incurring any tax. Now, of course, you're not going to get away with the entire transaction without some tax. So as the individual receives the stream of income, that does get included on their personal income tax return. But again, a, a good way to diversify a concentrated position for the right individual, especially one who has um, some charity in mind. Um, another idea that I think is a great topic included in the year-end guide is with regard to the income tax consequences of a grantor trust. A grantor trust is just a trust that's disregarded for income tax purposes so that the grantor reports the trust income deductions and credits on their personal income tax return. Now, I'm sure you've heard that grantor trusts are great for estate planning purposes because in the case of an irrevocable grantor trust, the assets continue to grow outside the grantor's taxable estate without being diminished by those taxes. But the question comes up often about what if the tax burden becomes too much? So we've got some great options here, and that includes that the grantor may be able to borrow funds from the trust for the payment of income taxes. Also, if their spouse is a beneficiary of the trust, then the trustee may have the power to distribute assets to the spouse, and they can use those for taxes. And the trust may have language in it that permits the trustee or another person to actually reimburse the grantor for taxes due on his personal returns that are attributable to that trust. Now, we would caution on doing any of these strategies on any kind of regular basis. The grantor could be seen as having retained an interest in the trust, which could trigger inclusion for estate tax purposes. And finally, there are normally options where the grantor can toggle off and basically turn off the grantor trust status which basically would just make the trust its own taxpayer, and then the grantor wouldn't be responsible for those income taxes on an ongoing basis. And then the final topic that I'll mention from the year-end guide is really kind of a simple topic, but basically just reviewing ownership of assets. Our clients spend a lot of time and often a lot of money creating their estate plans and being very thoughtful as to how they want those assets to pass when they're no longer here. And I think that it's just a good reminder that once they have those plans in place, they really need to take a look at how their assets are titled to make sure that that's consistent with their estate planning goals. So, for example, if they've created a revocable trust with the intention to avoid probate, they need to make sure that they've actually retitled those assets into the name of their revocable trust. This, um, this includes real estate, tangible personal property like cars and boats, as well as financial accounts like bank and brokerage accounts. And also take a look at things that pass through beneficiary designation. 
So like I said, it's just a good reminder to take a look at each of those and make sure that they're going where the individual intends for them to go. Well, there is a lot of valuable takeaways here for our listeners, our clients. Of course, we do encourage our audience to read further into the planning guide. And for our clients, if you do have any follow-up questions or want to learn more, please do have a follow-up conversation with your UBS financial advisor. Though, Jacqueline Todd, uh, thank you both for sharing these ideas with our listeners today for joining us here on UBS Conversations for a look at the 2022 year-end planning guide. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary or ask your UBS financial advisor for a copy.